Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. series on the seven things that God hates. Continue in that this morning. Proverbs chapter number six, verse 12. Read all of our guests today that are here with us. This is your first time here. We're so thankful for you being here. I want you to always feel as though you can come here. We hope that this would not be your last time, amen, to be with us. Proverbs six, verse number 12. The Bible says a naughty person a wicked man walketh with a forward mouth. He winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. He teacheth with his fingers. Forwardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood heart that deviseth wicked imaginations feet that be swift in running to mischief a false witness that speak of lies and he that soweth discord among the brethren up into this point this morning we've kind of just had a overview of these to begin with and we've looked at a proud look a lying tongue we've looked at those that would bear false witness or have false witness and speak lies and those that sow discord among the brethren this morning would like to hone in on the shedding of innocent blood or hens that shed innocent blood today amen and consider that and uh, I think maybe when we're all said and done our minds automatically go to murder perhaps the taking of an unborn life in a womb abortion or things of that 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 nature um, but this encompasses far more than just that and uh, we're going to get there today and I don't know how far I'll get in this journey I got I got enough I got enough here that I could probably go for an hour and a half so uh, let's just ask the Lord to help us today Father I love you God I need you Lord Jesus today God every heart and every soul Lord Jesus in this place God, you have to help us, Lord, this morning, God, by your word, according to your word. I pray, God, let there be a fresh anointing of your spirit, God, that would fall, Lord, upon, God, not just the speaker, but, God, the listener as well. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, help us, God, to take the truths of your word, God, and apply them in our life, God, where they would fit, Lord Jesus. God, where they'd be act applicable, Lord, I pray, and we'll give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. So our focus are our hands that shed innocent blood. And uh, it seems kind of peculiar here today. You would think that, you know, is not blood shed enough to be a reason for God to be displeased or hate? I mean, for that matter, whether it be uh, guilty blood as opposed to innocent blood, I mean, isn't the fact that blood was shed alarming enough for anyone? Of course, I'm not just alluding to this morning a little scrape or a little cut. I'm not, 
I'm not meaning a speck that may be produced from a prick on a hand or, or a great flow that happens from a gash or laceration that happens to our bodies, but I'm talking about bloodshed that releases the life of a person to the point that they die, to the point that there is death. And while I don't believe it is absolutely necessary to describe if death happened as a result of somebody's hands or somebody's feet for that matter or by any other member of the body that would be employed in taking another life, whatever would be used. But I do believe this morning it's important to recognize that this shedding of innocent blood is, is an action. It is an action that is represented perhaps by one of the most active members of our body being our hands, hands that shed innocent blood. There's a lot of activity that takes place by and through your hands, perhaps some of the most active members that is that can be seen of our bodies. So the shedding of innocent blood is an action. Solomon expresses it as that in Proverbs so that we know it is an action, so that we would know that it's not an attitude as having a proud look is to differentiate then that like lying and false witnessing with lies that it's not something necessarily that ties to our speech but shedding innocent blood is an action and if the laws that be that many have discovered like Newton are there uh, if we could use it in a figurative sense today uh, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction then innocent blood cannot be shed without there being certain consequences Innocent blood cannot be shed without something taking place. Deuteronomy chapter 21 gives us the prescription about what is to be done. And we're going to walk a little bit today, all right? Gives us a prescription about what is to be done. What that means is we're going to just have to unpeel this thing like layers on an onion. Amen. It tells us what is to be done when someone is found slain in the land. In other words, he told them if you were to walk through a land and you would come upon a body that was lying there and dead and it had been slain in the land and no one knew who had, had killed it or no one knew who had slain it, he said there's some things that you must do. There's a proper way that you handle this. There's a proper way that you handle this. And so he said in Deuteronomy 21 and verse 7, he says, and they shall answer and say, our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Those that came upon this body that was in the land slain that said, hey, we, we didn't have anything to do with this. Neither did we witness anybody doing this. And he said in verse 8, they would say, be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge. And the blood shall be forgiven them. Verse 9, so shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you. When thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. And so we learn then from verse 9 that there is some type of guilt that is associated with shedding innocent blood. The priests, what they were to do concerning coming upon this body that no one knew who do it and 
who did it, and they didn't do it themselves. The Bible says that they would have to mark off the distance to the nearest city, and then the priest of the nearest city would have to go to the valley with a heifer, behead that heifer, and wash their hands over the top of that beheaded heifer in that valley that's in that vicinity. And that these people would then plead with God, God, don't lay this innocent blood to our charge because there's guilt that's associated with that. Don't, don't lay it into the charge of your people. Don't lay it into the charge of Israel or the land of Israel because we don't want Israel, whether it be the people or the land, to have to accept any of the responsibility of this innocent blood being shed. And so that ceremony would take place to put away the guilt that, that cleansing of the hands above a beheaded heifer in the valley would be the ceremony that would put away the guilt of the innocent blood from them so it wouldn't be upon them so they wouldn't be charged with it they would in essence with that heifer they were in essence sacrificing to the Lord sacrificing to the Lord that heifer so it would stay the hand of guilt from them uh, to doing they were doing what was right in the sight of the Lord that sacrifice that offering unto the Lord to remove the guilt and the shame the stigma if you will, of the innocent blood that was shed. The Bible says in 1 Kings 2 and verse 31, And the king said unto him, Do as he hath said. Fall upon him and bury him. This is Solomon speaking to a priest. That thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, and slew them with the sword. My father David, not knowing thereof to wit, Solomon says, my dad didn't know anything about this. Abner, the son of Ner, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. In other words, Solomon tells us that Joab has shed innocent blood at least twice that he is aware of by taking the lives of both Abner and Amasa during his father, King David's reign. David, he says, my dad wasn't aware of this happening in the moment until later, and he has informed me before passing concerning these things. And he says, so Joab is someone that has taken blood. The Bible even explains that he took blood of war in a time of peace. He took innocent blood. And to remedy Solomon and to remedy the house of David from the guilt of, of this innocent blood from the consequences of this innocent blood Solomon says Joab must be slain in other words he must be cut off he must be separated he must be distanced from this earth he's going to be killed and so evidently again there's some type of disgrace that comes about when upon a person or upon a land or upon a kingdom whenever innocent blood had been shed as a matter of fact, we read of this in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, God was so protective of there not being innocent blood slain. And the law was so adamant about safeguarding innocent blood from being shed that God provided six cities of refuge, six cities of refuge in the land of Israel just for the purpose of protecting innocent blood among his people among the 12 tribes of Israel. The Bible tells us the reason why those cities of refuge really were there is if a man or an individual took another life by accident, 
took another life ignorantly. For instance, if they were if they were with an axe in the field and they were felling a tree and the axe head went through the air and there was another individual there and it hit them and killed them, they accidentally killed someone. And so they weren't really at fault. They were innocent. But whoever was related to the individual that died was going to be seeking for the one who accidentally uh, uh, took that life, so to speak. And as they would try to get them to take their life, cities of refuge were set up in close proximity to all the tribes of Israel so that innocent individual could make it to the city of refuge and their life be spared. What God was trying to do was to keep innocent blood from being shed. The Bible says that that type of individual, that type of person with innocent blood would not be worthy of death because they were naive. They were innocent. They didn't do anything that they had done on purpose. And so cities of refuge six were instituted with the hopes that that person, that innocent blood would live. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 19 and verse 10, that innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord God giveth thee for an inheritance. So blood be upon thee. In other words, if innocent blood was shed, if innocent blood was shed, if the avenger got to the one that was the innocent blood before they got to the city of refuge, if innocent blood was shed, then the blood, he says, would be upon the one who shed it. The blood would be upon the individual who did the act. And many times upon the land wherein it was shed. Someone say, amen. Everybody doing all right? In 2 Samuel 21 and verse 1, we see this coming out. It's not just upon an individual whenever innocent blood is shed, but it's on a land. The Bible says David in his reign as king, there was a famine in the days of David three years. Year after year, this famine came upon them. The Bible says that David inquires of the Lord. He's trying to figure out what's all taking place here. And the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. In other words, David's enduring drought right now. David is enduring a famine in the land right now in his reign because the one who ruled before him, Saul, shed blood. More importantly, innocent blood in the sense that those Gibeonites had not done anything wrong at that time to warrant their death and so shedding blood innocent blood defiled the land not just the person but it defiled and polluted the land there was famine because there was a drought because there was no rain that fell from heaven and said when no rain comes from heaven (laughs) which God has all control over. When no rain falls from heaven, there's a drought in the land. There's no produce. There's no yield. There's no harvest. And that was all connected to innocent blood being shed. In other words, because of innocent blood being shed, it stymied the provision in the land, amen, for the people. The provision that was directly related to the rain that came from heaven. Or the rain that came from God. In other words, to shed innocent blood was to get on the wrong side of God. To shed innocent blood was to distance yourself from the provision of God. To shed innocent blood was for God to cut off his supply line. Someone say amen. I'm just building here something. 
We read in the Old Testament, even in Genesis 37, you can look at it for yourself. The Bible says one of the, one of the brothers of Joseph overheard the plan of his brothers to kill Joseph, to slay Joseph, to cast him into a pit. They were going to cover it all up by saying that an evil beast, or if you will, present a garment with blood on it that an evil beast has overtaken him. Let the father just deduce what the father would deduce. But Joseph here in Scripture was only 17 years old at this time. There was still much innocence, if you will, about a 17-year-old boy. Amen. And so he had done nothing wrong to his brothers. He had accepted, he had accepted the love and the favor of his father. I mean, what's wrong with that? Amen. He had shared with his brothers two dreams that he had had. Amen. And it wasn't him that furnished the interpretation. Look at it in Scripture. He didn't say this is what this dream means. His brothers came up with the interpretation. His father came up with the interpretation of what they thought. Oh, you're saying we're going to bow down to you or we're going to serve you? Joseph never gave the interpretation. His family gave the interpretation. So he hadn't done nothing wrong toward them. And so Reuben protests in this moment. Reuben protests. He says, hey, I don't mind us throwing Joseph into a pit Amen. But we cannot shed his blood. We cannot kill him. We cannot allow innocent blood to be shed. Shed no blood. And so later in verse 26 of Genesis 37, Judah, another brother, rises up and poses a question. He says, what profit is it if we slay our brother? In other words, he's saying, what advantage? What advantage is gained? What benefit do we have? What, what, what have we really reaped a benefit for if we shed innocent blood? Later, later in the story, after he's been in the pit and he's been in prison and, and he's been in Potiphar's house, in chapter 22, whenever the brothers are coming before Joseph, who they thought was dead, as they come before Joseph, who is now second in command of all of Egypt, Amen. They showed him, but they thought surely by this time that he was dead. They even report, as they're reporting to their own brother Joseph, not recognizing whom he is, whenever he asks about all of their family and their father and their brothers, they report to him that one is with their father. Benjamin had stayed home, and that one was not. They thought that Joseph was dead. And they felt in that moment, they felt that their present dilemma of, of Joseph calling them spies and, and deciding whether or not to give them provision for their family. They decided that their present dilemma was connected to their mistreatment of Joseph. And Reuben stands up again in that moment. He begins to scold his brothers. He said, I told you not to sin against Joseph. I told you not to do anything wrong. And behold, also his blood. See, they thought he was dead. His blood is required, if you will. He's implying at our hands. Listen to me this morning. They didn't kill him. They did sell him. But had the brothers killed Joseph, had the brothers shed innocent blood, they would have taken their own lives when they took his. Hear me. Because he would not have been there set ahead of them to the land of Egypt as he testifies to be there in order to preserve his brothers. Mm. See, when innocent blood is shed, it does cut off the provision. 
When innocent blood is shed, just like the rain from heaven, and in this instance, hands that shed innocent blood in this episode would have been hands that squelched the provision for their own life and perhaps jeopardized, in a very literal sense, their lives. Someone say amen. Now again, as I started, hands that shed innocent blood, our minds go to murder. Our minds go to abortion. It goes to all those type of things when we read that in Proverbs. But hands that shed innocent blood go beyond murder. It goes beyond the thought of taking the innocence of a child within its mother's womb. The Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. Listen to me. Because that activity was typical of idolatry. In Ezekiel 23, the Lord was infuriated with both Israel and Judah, these two separate kingdoms at this time, because he says, you all commit adultery, adultery, by serving idols, and you shed innocent blood by sacrificing your children to these idols. And so shedding innocent blood were hands. This is where we need to be today, right here. Shedding innocent blood were hands that were turned away from worship unto God. And it indicated people that had worshipped something other than God. It's people that had forsaken God. And so when we look at it in Proverbs, it's more than murder. It's more than abortion. But it's somebody that's deterred their object of worship from being God to being something other than. Let me build it. I got enough to build it. I'm telling you, a skyscraper here today. Amen. From the earliest recordings in scriptures, the earliest happenings in scriptures in the Bible, the shedding of innocent blood had connoted disdain for proper worship. When you read of the first murder in the Bible, of Cain murdering his brother Abel, when that innocent blood was shed, why did Cain take the life of his brother Abel? Why? Here's why. Because Abel and his offering were respected by God. While Cain and his offering were not respected by God. Cain rose up in the field against his brother Abel because of Abel's proper worship unto the Lord. Innocent blood was shed in that first murder because Cain had scorn against his brother's respectable, respectable worship. Someone say amen. The psalmist David, I feel the Holy Ghost coming in here. Psalmist David, that means the Spirit of the Lord. I feel God coming into this room. Psalms chapter 1 and 6, David says this in verse 36. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. And they sacrificed their gods and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted 
with blood. They're idols. One idol in particular comes to mind. You remember hearing of Molech? That was a Canaanite god. Here's what the Bible says in Jeremiah 32 and verse 35. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Anybody remember Molech? Molech, you may remember, was the cruel idol that was worshipped by the Canaanite people. But when Israel came into the promised land, God had repeated himself over and over, do not become connected to these people, do not worship their gods, do not become ensnared by their idols, because if you do so, you're going to have a problem getting it corrected. But Israel got caught up in the spirit of the land. They got caught up in the spirit of Canaan. And the Bible says they sacrificed their children to appease these supposed gods, these supposed deities. And the altar of Molech, amen, it was thought to be made of hallowed out metal, hallowed out steel. Fires were made in the belly of that beast or of that Molech until the metal would start to glow. It was so hot. And parents, thinking they were doing a service to the God of the land, would take their little babies or take their children, caught up in the spirit of the age, trying to correct, if you will, everything, and lay those babies on those fiery arms of a pagan deity. And they gave up the next generation by worshiping a false god. They gave up the next generation by serving a false idol. The Bible says in Psalms they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to devils. And so much of the shedding of innocent blood in that day was how parents were worshiping. You hear what I'm saying? A large volume of the innocent blood that was shed in that hour was because parents had the wrong object of worship, the wrong object of affection. They were sacrificing their children to idols. I got to arise on this Sunday morning and tell you, well, Brother McGee, we don't have no malects over here. We don't have no metal gods. There's no fire in their bellies. Folks, there might not be in a very literal sense, but in a figurative sense, I'm here to tell you today, many times we come to the very same thing of, if you will, shedding innocent blood in our hour in a figurative sense because we sacrifice our kids to TV. We sacrifice our kids to video games. We sacrifice our kids to Hollywood. We sacrifice them to a superabundance of extracurricular activities and in doing so in an unbalanced and unhealthy way we have set a precedent for worship toward idols and gods that have no power no creative power no divine we're shedding innocent blood because deterred worship Yeah. We give more time to some of those things than we'll do God. That's worship. Give more money to some of those things than we do God. That's worship. We're shedding innocent blood. We've misdirected our worship. And he said in Proverbs, God hates hands that are irresponsible when it comes to worship. Hello, He hates it. 
not only does it put some type of defilement and disgrace and disdain on you, but it does the land. Mm. The Bible tells us, you can read it, 2 Kings. If I was going to read every scripture that I have today, the reading alone of scripture would be long enough for a sermon. 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse 6. You look at it in verse 16 as well. The Bible is telling the story of Manasseh. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. The Hezekiah who had 15 years added to his life whenever he required it or asked it of the Lord. Messiah or Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. When Manasseh came into reign, unlike some before him, he did all types of horrid things. All types of horrid things. Here's just a short list of some of the things that Manasseh did. He built high places. That's where they worship false gods. He made altars for Baal. He served and worshiped the host of heaven, the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations. The Bible even says that he made altars in the house of God for the host of heaven. So he set up those altars, Brother Gregory, for these host of moon, moon, stars, and such in in the house of God. Amen. He used enchantments, the Bible says. He consulted familiar spirits and wizards. And the Bible does not leave out. He caused his sons to pass through the fire. And what that is relaying to, he offered them up to Molech. He offered them up to Molech. And what all of this attaches to is this, a flawed way of worship. A flawed way of sacrifice. Insomuch that in 2 Kings 24 and verse 4, the Bible says this concerning this whole scenario. And also for the innocent blood that he shed, that Manasseh shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. The Lord would not pardon Manasseh for all the innocent blood he shed. Because a misplaced worship separates you from your God. Don't forget our main text in Proverbs 6. Remember the wicked, the naughty person? Huh? Remember them? Their practices? That whenever they do all these things, they put themselves in a place where they won't seek God and where their calamity will come upon them suddenly and they'll be broken without remedy. When you practice these types of things, you put yourself at distance from God. You don't want anything to have to do with God. You don't have a spirit of repentance in your life. Let me go a little further. I'll prove the point. Isaiah 59 and verse 1. Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The Lord's hands not. He can. He can hear. Look at verse 2. The contrast. But your iniquities have separated. In other words, the Lord would like to, but you don't want to have anything to do with it. The Lord would desire to hear, but you don't want to be heard because you're worshiping something other than God. You're not right now having any affection toward God. You're not thrilled about the Lord. He said, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear.
So Isaiah is pleading with Israel. God's hand's not short. His ear is not heavy. But sin has separated you from him. And sin has caused him to hide his face and turn his ear. It has everything to do, not so much as you, as your sin. Someone say amen. If you continue looking there in Isaiah chapter 59 and you look through, go all the way down to verse 8, look through there. You're going to notice something as you look. You'll notice that almost everything that's listed there in verses 3 through 8 encompass the things that God hates that he lists in Proverbs chapter number 6. You'll find in those verses, amen, that these people were practicing lies and there were perverseness in their lips and in their tongue. It describes that they had hands and fingers that was defiled with shedding innocent blood, that they conceived mischief, it says in the word. It says that they ran to evil, amen. Listen, folks, listen. This isn't, you say, well, my goodness, He's a loving God. Yeah, he is a loving God. But this is not a God problem I'm talking about. This is not a shorthand God, a death God problem I'm talking about. This is a worship problem. This is a sacrifice problem. And to worship anything aside from God is a sin. And sin separates you from God. And God hates that. Hates it. Jeremiah 7. I got a lengthy reading. But I I feel that I need to read it. Jeremiah 7. Start with verse number 1. The Bible states these words. And the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord all ye of Judah that enter in at these gates to worship. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, And if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your father forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely? You see in all these things that in Proverbs 6, swear falsely and burn incense into Baal, walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand and look. You do all that and then come and stand before me in this house, the house of the Lord, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. In other words, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. We are delivered to do all these abominations. Verse 11, is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Let me break it down for somebody that doesn't realize what's being said here. There is a word that comes from the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. It's coming to Judah. It's coming to all of them that would enter the gates of the house of the Lord. 
It's coming to all of them that would frequent the house of the Lord. Let me put this in there, to worship. This was a word to the worship. And the cry was this. Those that are coming to the house of the Lord, you quote unquote worshipers, amend your ways. Change your ways. And when you do, I make you this promise. I will cause you to dwell in this place. This won't just be some place you frequent and worship just won't be an activity on your schedule. It'll be a lifestyle. It'll be where you live and where you dwell. It'll be where you lay down and where you get up and where you eat your meals. But he told them in order this can take place, you got to amend your ways. What must we do? You got to stop lying. You got to stop trusting in lying words. You got to stop shedding innocent blood and walking after other gods. You got to stop swearing falsely. Amen. Israel was doing all of these corrupt things to false gods and idols. And then they were entering. They were doing that. They were up with Baal. They were sacrificing their children. And when they were done doing that, they were entering the house of the Lord. They were entering the house of the Lord believing it was okay for everything they did prior to getting to the house of God and still being able to be accepted in the house of God. Amen. Experience the presence of God. They could do whatever they wanted to out there. Come in here and still be okay. Someone say no, no. He asked them in verse 11 then. He says, is this house, the house of the Lord, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers? We read in the New Testament, den of thieves in your eyes. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Follow me. I feel like spirit of revelation hit me the other day. He says, the house of the Lord, has it not become a den of robbers? How so? Spirit of revelation, I believe, hit me, bishop. It's because people were coming into the house of the Lord having given themselves to idols, having given themselves to false gods, had given themselves to lesser important things, and in essence, they had stolen from God and robbed from God their worship and, and their attention. The way that the house of prayer becomes a den of thieves is that you start giving your allegiance and your worship to beggarly lesser things and still come in the house thinking it's okay. No, 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 no. You change and alter the house of prayer and worship into a den of thieves because you're stealing from God what rightfully belongs to God. So rather than a house of prayer, in a house of worship, it becomes a den of thieves. People had stolen worship from God and had given it to another. They've shed innocent blood. They've given their sacrifices of their children to foreign deities. I guarantee you, when we read Hands That Shed Innocent Blood in Proverbs 6, nobody was thinking along these lines. Everybody thought this is, this is the Sunday morning I can sit back and just listen and don't really have to take anything to heart because he's talking about murder and he's talking about abortion. He's talking about things as it relates to life. Is that wrong? Because I would dare say sitting in this house this morning, we've all been guilty of stealing worship from God and giving it to unimportant things. 
And so in that context, I would dare to say we've all been guilty of shedding some innocent blood. Because there's times people enter the house of the Lord and they enter here too tired to worship God because they gave their time and energy to extracurricular activities, staying up late watching the blue tube till one o'clock in the morning and then trying to come in here on Sunday morning service and trying to worship God. Let me tell you, you're stealing. You're a thief. You're giving more energy and attention to other things. Honey, get yourself to bed at a good time so you can come to the house of the Lord. Open your lips and worship and raise your hands. Don't you become in here a thief. Don't you come in here a robber. You give to God what good belongs to God. You honor Him. You adore Him. Don't tell me so. People will give themselves until they're weary and then won't have anything to give to God. And yet just like Israel, they come in here and say, you know what, I don't have no remorse over what I did or any conviction over what I've done that I squandered more time, more interest, and more money to fancy other things than to fancy the master. So when I get down to the nitty gritty, brother, I'm too tired to worship. Really gets interpreted. I've already worshipped hard something else. Brother Pat, I can't afford to give. What really interprets, you took the tent that belonged to him and you spent it on something that suppose, no matter how legitimate or illegitimate you may think it is, is self-serving. See, you got yourself a God. It's called self. I mean, I just didn't have time to make it there. Time to make it there. You hear me? I'm gonna do it. Y'all go love me. Y'all go love me. Listen, it's not been so long ago that I can't remember. Amen. Working secular work. All right. I know there's usually two two things that happen. They can either ask for you to work overtime, or they can make you work overtime. When I had to work overtime, I had to work overtime. But whenever it's up to me whether or not I work it and it's time to go to the house of God, I don't need time and a half at the end of the week or the end of two weeks on my check. I tell you what I need. I need to get myself to the house of God. And I need to worship because I understand he secured that employment for me to begin. Honey, I don't want to be guilty of shedding some innocent blood. Oh, but Brother McGee, every, you know, and I tell people this. Listen, everybody needs time away. We all do. We all do. But when your time away is every other week or every weekend, honey, you got a problem with your worship. You got a problem with your devotion. You need to get back on track and make the main thing the main thing. If you can't be consistent to God's house, my God, why don't you just go to an altar of repentance and have a time of renewal from the presence of the Lord so you can get it right?
In John 18, the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place Jesus oft times resorted, the scripture says, with his disciples, presumably by and large to pray as he did even the day that he was arrested to pray. The Bible says that Judas knew the place. Jesus was there with his disciples, minus Judas. Jesus was there praying in this moment. Luke 22 says, doing so until his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. Science says it's a literal happening that can take place. That whenever a human body is under a superabundant amount of stress and anguish, that the capillaries that go in your pores can burst and there can be blood that come out the sweat. Because in that moment, Jesus was in, listen to me, Jesus as a man was in the greatest struggle of his life between his fleshly side and his spirit side. And he had invited his disciples into the struggle with him and said pray with me because he needed to overcome his fleshly will that's the reason why he sat there saying unto his spiritual side Lord if it be possible let this cup pass from me why he didn't want to have to go to the cross he didn't want to have to die he didn't want to have to suffer his flesh didn't want to do that he's trying to overcome his fleshly will and trying to surrender to the will of the Lord in that moment through prayer and evidently, you could, I guess you can interpret that so. You can think that there was just one hour because he asked, could you not even pray with me one hour? He went to them three times. There's a possibility he could have prayed three hours. But he comes to them after that a possible three-hour time frame of prayer that Jesus was betrayed by a kiss from Judas. And after that, the next day records these words in Matthew 27. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, speaking of Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, when he saw that Jesus was condemned to death, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in what I have betrayed the innocent, the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Acts 1.18 says that even he burst asunder in the midst and his bowels gushed out. Which from putting the two together from what we can understand is he probably hung himself and it didn't quite hold all the way till he fell to the ground and it busted open his body. His bowels and blood gushed out. When Judas learned they condemned Jesus to death, he realized he was guilty shedding innocent blood that somewhere along the line from where Christ called him and he started following he had gotten lost concerning his worship and his priorities had gotten skewed and whenever the life of Jesus listen to me this morning when the life of Jesus was taken 
which he literally gave. But whenever that happened, Jesus then for the next few days wouldn't be found anymore in Gethsemane praying any prayers. No, no, Gethsemane for the next few days would be a place a man robbed society. It would be a place where a man robbed God and man of the most precious thing they had ever known. That place of prayer of Gethsemane would become a location of robbery and the lair, if you will, of a thief because of Judas. Watch me. The Bible says Judas repented himself. Listen, but Judas couldn't do it himself. You by yourself can't reverse what's been done. You cannot right your own wrongs you've done. You cannot remove the sins of your life by yourself. Only Jesus can remit sin. Only Jesus can remove sin. Now here it is. Numbers 35 verse 33. And I'm tying this thing for a homeward, homeward bound position. The Bible stated this in the Old Testament law. So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are. For blood it defileth the land. And the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein. But by the blood of him that shed it. In other words, if blood is shed, if innocent blood is shed, the land becomes polluted, the people become polluted, and the only way to take care of the pollution is for the person that shed the blood to have their life lost. Stand with me and I'll close. You'll help me if you stand. What did the priest say to Judas? When he said, I'm guilty of shedding innocent blood. What did the priest say? What's that to us? He said, what is that to us? Look at the exact words and I'll read them. What is that to us? They said, see thou to that. I believe they were referring to the Old Testament law. If you shed blood, the only way to take care of the pollution and defilement is if your blood is shed. If you die. Judas leaves that court with the silver on the floor. You hear me? He leaves the court with the silver on the floor and he goes and hangs himself. Falls to the ground then with his bowels gushing out. Here's the malady. That did not take care of it. That didn't do anything. That was and had been and was now insufficient. But when Jesus died sometime later he would become both the victim that was slain and the perpetrator that was doing the slaying. In that moment of time Jesus would become the sacrifice and he would become the sacrificer. If I could say like this Jesus would become the perfect lamb of God but he would also become the Judas. He would be the innocent blood shed and he would be the guilty life that shed the blood. For the Bible says, for he, speaking of Jesus, made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Yet in another place of the Gospels, it says in 1 John, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In that moment, he was the victim and the guilty party. 
So God hates, Brother Mason, you can go to the music. God hates hands that shed innocent blood because it is a testament to inappropriate worship. It's a testament to worship that does not involve God. And God hates hands that shed innocent blood because of like Judas. People that practice it, it cuts them off. It separates them from the provision of heaven. Separates them from the provision of God. God hates hands that shed innocent blood because that is what was done to the only begotten son. And more importantly, that's what had to be done in order for the land in order for the people to be cleansed. We bow our heads here today. I'm pleading today. I'm pulling as much as I can in the Holy Ghost to pull. You may have never been guilty of murder. And you may have never been guilty per se of any type of abortive practices. But you may be standing right here this morning guilty of rendering worship. Oh, God. Brother McGee, I've never said praise the Lord to anything except God. You missed it. You worship with your time. You worship with your money. You worship with your priorities. You may be standing here guilty this morning of deterred worship, worshiping other things in your life more than you worship God and yet come as Israel did long ago in the house of worship and feeling like you know what there's I have no remorse remorse over what I've done or how I've done or how I've lived my life but I'm here in the house of God now everything's okay is it is it or have you shed innocent blood again the shedding of innocent blood was Connected with them offering their children to idols and false gods. It was all connected to improper worship, misplaced worship, skewed object of worship. And so if you have a skewed object of worship this morning, you're no different than shedding innocent blood as they were in the Old Testament law. God doesn't like that. God doesn't like that. He's not going to give his glory to another and so he don't want anybody else taking that and trying to give it to any other either. This is to be the house of prayer and worship, not a den of robbers and thieves because we stole and worship that belonged to God and misappropriated it somewhere else. Well, McGee, you preach it pretty strong today. I know it. We'll preach something lovey-dovey somewhere other time. But I'm feeling like as we head toward the end of the year and start another year, boy, I'm feeling a strong preaching voice coming on me here for a little while. Because what we're involved in here, folks, this is not a game. This is not an extracurricular activity. This is destiny. This is destiny-directing time of your life you like gambling with your life then don't be gambling when you come to the house of the Lord 
concerning your worship. Because we're talking about destinies whenever we come here on Sunday morning. We're talking about destinies when we come here on Sunday night and Wednesday night. This is not a social club like the Eagles. This is not the Knights of Columbus. This is the house of God. This is the house of God. These altars are open this morning. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.